0: Hello, my friends. It seems you have clicked your way to another episode of Pierre Pressure Podcast. Nice move. Good job. Nice choice. Good use of your time. This episode, I'm really excited to talk to Phil Manley. I'll tell you all about Phil. Before we get into that, I want to just check in about politics. Trump and his goons are full-on obstructing justice. Uh, There's an impeachment inquiry that is gaining rapid momentum. Uh... People are getting arrested left and right. People are getting subpoenaed. Uh, Trump has decided to just, just obstruct justice at every, at every turn, and uh, he's got his his gang of uh, clowns working for him. So that's happening. Um, I'm not exactly sure where it's going to go. I'm totally exhausted by it. I have no idea what's going to happen. But I think, really, I just want to focus on cleaning house and getting everyone out of office who's corrupt. So let's focus on. All the local elections which are happening, there's a bunch of them happening in New York and around the country starting this November. You can do early voting in October just to make sure you're able to vote and uh, just vote for Democrats. I think that's the best way to go. Let's get all those other people out of office. The Republicans have shown that they will never stand up for what's right. They will not back truth over power. So let's get rid of them. And another thing I want to talk about is a lot of people there's, are throwing around the word socialism. socialism. There's some candidates who stand on the side of socialism. If you just want to find out once and for all what, what actually socialism in, in America looks like, a really good resource is the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America. They're a really great organization. They have a website and they have newsletters that explain on a really practical level what democratic socialism is and how it can function in our country to be a positive force to sort of roll back the tide of destructive capitalism. So, go to dsausa.org and get informed. It can't hurt to know what you're talking about when you talk about socialism. And as always, there's, you know, the 2020 campaign is in full swing. I say of course, donate, donate your time, donate your energy, your money to the candidate that you prefer, whether it be Elizabeth Warren, or maybe you side more, you're more on the side of Elizabeth Warren, or possibly you're just a Warren, Warren person. Warren, Warren, Warren. Whoever your favorite candidate is, vote for them, support that person, and whoever ends up being the candidate, vote for that person, because even if the candidate ends up being a moldy onion with little toothpicks in it to make arms and legs, that would be a lot better than the current president. So, vote we'll moldy onion if you want. I'm gonna vote for you know who. All right. This episode The guest is Phil Manley He lives in San Francisco He has a studio called L Studio Where he's a producer engineer And he's been in a bunch of amazing bands Including Trans Am Which is just such a killer band And I put a bunch of music in this episode I was lucky enough to sit with Phil in his studio In San Francisco And talk about a bunch of his amazing projects over the years Including Trans Am The fucking Champs life coach he played in Oneida for a while he had a band called Golden he plays with Terry Gross I mean it's just the names of his bands are amazing the song title if you just just go on Spotify and check out all his projects and just look at the song titles there's a bunch of them on this episode that you can check out we had a nice chat I'd like to thank Paul Manley his brother for setting it up and i'd like to thank mother nature for hanging in there even though we keep punching her in the face enjoy my conversation with phil manley i'm talking to phil manley at el studio in san francisco phil's uh, one of the owners and engineers here is that correct that is correct and this uh, he's been nice enough to squeeze me in here at uh at his studio for a little chat so phil it's nice to talk to you
1: likewise pierre nice to meet you
0: so phil you've you've been doing lots of amazing music for a lot of years starting with trans am and fucking champs and now a life coach and you've played in a million other bands in between but i'd love to kind of hear how you got started with music in a nutshell
1: um well we grew up in maryland outside of dc in the suburbs, and um, our neighbor across the street was a piano teacher, Lorena Thomas. And she, her father was also a musician, and he played um, saxophone. So there was a very musical family right across the street, and she, they had like a trombone, a trumpet, a saxoph- like maybe a few saxophones. And their kids were her kids were older, mm-hmm. so they had kind of outgrown all those instruments. And first we took piano lessons with her. My sister did, my I did, and my brother did. And then what age were you at that time? Five. Oh
0: wow, way early. Okay.
1: Yeah. Cool. And then um eventually, I think it was like in fourth grade, we were allowed to choose a band instrument. Mm-hmm. And I chose my sister continued playing piano. I chose the saxophone. Okay and Paul chose trombone. Oh really? My younger brother. Yeah. Okay. And so I would play I played piano and saxophone concurrently for a while. And then her family moved and we we kept taking piano lessons with different teachers but none of the teachers were as good. Hmm. And so we kind of lost interest in piano, but I carried on playing saxophone and then I think it was in junior high or maybe in 6th grade I Remember, my mom had a, a classical guitar, like a Spanish mm-hmm. acoustic nylon string guitar, hanging up on the wall um, above our piano. And I don't—I think it was like I'd seen a video of the Who, yeah. And I was like, I want to play the—I want to play the guitar. And I picked up the guitar off the wall, and I just started messing around with it. And I figured out I. Figured out how to play Suzy Q by CCR. Oh, uh, yeah. And I was, That's I was like work. hooked. I yeah. was totally like, this is cool. I can play this. It's easy to play. Mm-hmm. And then my parents noticed that I had, a, you know, an interest in this. So my. For my birthday present, my parents got me guitar lessons um, at this place in D.C.
0: And how old were you then?
1: I was probably 12. Yeah. And I... uh,
0: You're like, I want to play more than one note at a time. I guess you already were playing the piano.
1: Well, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was was clear that I needed lessons to get past just, like, twiddling around. Mm -hmm. And um, so, yeah, then I got guitar lessons. And it was really cool, too, because even at that young age... My parents encouraged me to take public transportation to DC, downtown DC, mm. um, to take these lessons, and that was like a real sense of freedom. Yeah, at a pretty young age, and DC was not what it is today. It was really dangerous, right. In the eighties, yeah. But and, and then I would meet my dad because he was working near there, and so I'd have have my lesson, walk to my dad's office, and we'd come home together.
0: started with saxophone, which is like a really loud and aggressive instrument. Like, is there a connection between the tones that you're getting out of your guitar and hearkening back to the saxophone? Uh,
1: yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's a stretch, but. I think the thing that I liked about the saxophone was that you could play in jazz band. Mm-hmm. And as, as uh, in school, that was like the coolest thing that they yeah. offered, you know, because the music wasn't just like, it wasn't. Just like it was the music was yeah exactly right. it was it was more exciting mm-hmm. than like being able to play Charlie Parker songs and stuff yeah. even though I mean I I couldn't play Charlie Parker on the sax but the songs were more interesting and it seemed more exciting and it was more exclusive like you had to audition to play in the jazz band so and the quality the, and as a result the level of playing was better yeah because you had the best players a lot of kids in in just the band class were just like. I don't know. I'll just. I guess I'll just take band. Right. You know? Right. <laughs> so it's right. Like, so I figured slackers. that out
0: too. I could that I could join the jazz band and be in, play bass, and it was going to be a little more exciting than playing <laughs> the nerd band music. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: and the jazz band got to travel. Right. And got to go to festivals, and we even got to play with um, Dizzy Gillespie. Oh no way! Yeah, we. There was a festival we played where. He, we had won some competition and the prize was you, you could play a song as the backing band in Disney Gillespie. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, so we got to share that's the stage with Disney difficult. Gillespie.
0: from like marching or jazz band to like you know the going to trans am so in between like you're in the 80s in the dc in dc like were you um attracted to the kind of hardcore thing that was going on in dc at that time
1: yeah definitely but i want to back up a little because the story gets even cooler in a sense um
0: so the trans between dizzy and hardcore
1: yeah so the trans am guys we were all in the same band class. Oh wow. Or I should qualify. We all had the same band teacher yeah. in junior high school. Um, what I was, was in his the, or her name. His name was Frankie Ball. Cool. He's this super badass dude from Texas. He had a scar like all the way across his face. Oh he God. was a trumpet player, but he was he was really good at getting the band the students enthusiastic about playing music. And he was a very good band leader and he took no shit and he he would throw kids out who wouldn't yeah. behave, and he was—he was a great teacher. And I still, to this day, like I think it's between Lorena Thomas for starting me, right. and the then, neighbor. and yeah, and then him for instilling a, a strong work ethic and like you, drilling it in to the student, his students. Like, you have to learn just just learning the basics is not enough right you You don't get like a participation medal right You got to figure it out you've got it yeah yeah. and he was really good a great teacher and he a lot of lessons i learned were from him and i've kept those with me all along
0: when you were in that band or when you had that teacher did you guys do something called a challenge where like if somebody wanted somebody else's chair oh yeah and did you do it in a closed room and the rest of this because in my school you would challenge the third, you know, the third trumpet would challenge the second trumpet, and they'd go into a room and play the same piece, and the the class would have to vote on who played it better. It was really gnarly.
1: Oh, I don't remember. <laughs> the, I don't remember how that worked out. Yeah, I I kind of don't think it was. I thought it was the teacher would do the did, would be the judge. The but, students would vote in in my class. His, yeah, would be gnarly. You'd be like, I might I might be remembering that wrong, but um, so okay, so Nate and Seb were both in the orchestra. I was in the band, but we did perform as a collective group. The band would merge with the orchestra. And so we technically we were playing music together all the way back then, which was in the early eighties. Right. And then Amazing. um yeah, so then we would go to high school and um the whole DC hardcore thing, that's that's in full swing. Yeah. Although actually it it'd even I start. I graduated high school in nineteen ninety one, so it was even like on the towards the tail end of that, and Fugazi was
0: already happening. Yeah, Yeah. already happening, and totally. So we started going. Started like eighty nine or something.
1: Yeah, we started going to see Fugazi shows in the late eighties, and which were cool because we were underage, and a lot of the. I mean, the nine thirty club you were allowed to go to. It was an all ages venue, and we did, but I. I missed a lot of bands like Bad Brains and Minor Threat because I was just too young. Yeah, but um, but Fugazi, we would go to see play at churches. Like wow. they would always play these church basements. Yeah, and the shows were always five dollars. It was usually five yeah. bands, and so we saw some pretty amazing shows. I remember seeing Sonic Youth and Fugazi, wow. and Nation of Ulysses. Yeah, and I Fugazi. Them. What about Beef Eater? Were they around at that time? Yeah, I yeah. didn't. I don't think I ever saw a Beef Eater. Yeah, play um we started gray matter yeah Man, i don't know there was also... a lot of great music in dc so the at the three time of you
0: guys were like we're playing together like you started a
1: band at that point well seb went to high school in argentina oh, and okay. he's a year older than us and so he came back when we were juniors and we were we were unhappy with the guy who was drumming in our band and through a mutual friend, um, we met, we re met Seb, mm. and um, Seb uh, joined Trans Am, and we were like, yeah, this guy's way better. <laughs>
0: Called Trans Am back then. No, no, okay.
1: sorry. Yeah, I don't even know what we were yeah. called at the time. We went through a lot of different names. I think we may have been called Squid. Nice. But so what
0: I find so interesting is that you guys at that point are are thinking. I mean, maybe you're not thinking of this, like Instead of being punk rock, let's be kraut rock or whatever. Let's. Oh, I don't like, know. Let's be instrumental weird. That that weirdo. happened a little later. Okay. It, it didn't start p- out like that. No, at that okay. point
1: we were playing more like classic rock covers. Oh, okay. And then like the. Eventually, this is like once we were at we graduated high school. We're kind of like we would get together. We well, we all went to different colleges. I went to Oberlin College in Ohio. Nathan mm-hmm. went to Chapel Hill, North Carolina, and Seb went to Bard College in New York. And we would get together on over the like Christmas break or summer break. And then one one summer we all lived in North Carolina in Chapel Hill. And that's when Trans Am became Trans Am. We like, we all lived together in this tiny house, and uh, we—that's we, where we kind of wrote a lot of the first record. Well, that leads me to a question: of It sounds like a lot of that music is um,
0: improvised or just kind of jammed up, you know, like put together on yeah. the fly. Is that how it started?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of the first record was recorded on a four-track, and then, uh. like, yeah, just sort of like jamming in a bedroom.
0: And cutting stuff
1: up or recording yeah, it, or how would it work, yeah, a little like of, ob- yeah, a little of both, yeah, and then eventually we we had like we had enough we maybe like half of the album is stuff that was recorded at home like that in the rehearsal space, and then the other half was written, but we had some recordings that wound up on our first seven inch, but the quality was really dicey, and we the 7-inch found its way into the hands of John McIntyre, who had recorded the other side. It was a split 7-inch. It was Trans Am on one side and Thigh Masterson on the other side. Thigh Masterson. Yeah. <laughs> friends of ours from Oberlin. Is that something tortoise related? No. Okay. They, they were they were some friends. They are like a metal That's band funny. from Oberlin. And John had been a student at Oberlin, and they contacted John. They went to Chicago, recorded with John. 7-inch gets finished. They send John a copy. John hears the seven inch and is f- listens to the Trans Am side, and he's like, "Who's this band?" Oh. And th- through our friends, he gets in touch with us, and we made arrangements to then go to Chicago and record with John. And that opened a whole world of possibilities. Yeah, Did as that a band, lead
0: to a deal with Thrill Jockey. Or was well, it yeah, over it
1: took a long time for okay. that to materialize, but mm-hmm. so we made this record with John, and we we sent it out to. I would say like fifty or thirty to fifty labels. Mm. We just made a cassette.
0: Was Tortoise already happening by then? Yeah. Okay. Just
1: barely. Yeah. They had just started. And we made we made this cassette. We sent it to all these labels. And this is back pre internet. And we were like, you mm-hmm. know, you get a copy of CMJ and then in the back of CMJ right. there's there's an address for there's there's like yeah, a list of, of labels and their their mailing addresses. Right. And so we would, you know, highlight all the ones, the labels, whose bands we liked. Yeah. And we sent out all these tapes, and we got responses, I think, from three labels. One of the labels was Discord. Oh, nice. One of them was uh, Cranky, and another mm, cranky. was um, Simple Machines, Okay, which was like an Arlington-based label. We we knew the woman who ran the label, sort okay. of barely, indirectly. But they were the only labels who were nice enough to, to even listen. And and actually, I did. Did Discord want to do something? With well, it Discord was one of the coolest in the sense that, first of all, they responded. Yeah. And then second of all, Ian wrote the postcard, and he was like, "Um, we really like this." But it's too different than anything we have ever released. Okay. To, for us to it's too. And he wrote it himself. Yeah, and then he's, but, he's and then he,
0: an incredibly cool like that. Yeah, like, it's amazing. Yeah,
1: and yeah. then and then he was like, with all of that said, I would love yeah. to set up a meeting and yeah. t- and talk to you. Yeah, and so, <laughs> God, um, so cool. so yeah. So I, I I was home in D.C. for like Christmas break. I remember it was really cold yeah and i went to the black the old black hat to meet ian MacKay, and we just sat and chatted and nice. he was super friendly and it was just you know you just sort of reiterated yeah he was like i really like this but it's just too it's don't too different to than it. anything yeah. on the label i don't know how it would fit at all yeah then we played a show in Chicago with the CN Cake we were opening and Bettina who runs Thrill Jockey she um, was at the show she saw us play and then that's when she approached us and said do you want to put out your record on Thrill Jockey and that's what we had been gunning for all along and we had hoped that that would materialize but she has a rule and I'm pretty sure to this day she still follows this rule is that she won't sign a band to the label until she's seen them play. That's cool, and I think it's fair enough. Oh, it's yeah. like, what It's like what is this band all about, right? You know, so that's great. Yeah, and the rest is history. So
0: you're in that. So you're in that scene, kind of during the time with with Tortoise and all the Thrill Jockey stuff. But like, so I have, I'm out of curiosity. What? How do you feel about LCD Sound System? Like, do you feel like you are doing
1: that first? Because I feel. like... Uh, I mean, I. We're old friends with James. Oh, you are? Okay. Yeah, because he yeah. he actually was the sound engineer for Six Finger Satellite. Oh, yeah, that's right. And Trans Am. they're a DC band. No, right? they're from, Port, uh, oh. from Providence. Okay. And Trans Am did a full US tour with Six Finger Satellite, and James was their sound guy. Oh, funny. And so we got to know James on the road, and James actually helped record. We did a live record at the Black Cat, at the uh-huh. en- at the end of the tour with Six Finger Satellite, okay. and James helped us engineer that, and then okay. we liked working with him. So then, when we recorded Future World, we tracked it in D.C. with our friend Jonathan Krynick mm-hmm. as the engineer, and we all of us went up to New York to James had just opened a studio called Plantain, okay, which is in Chelsea, okay, and um, we were the first band. To, to work like they were literally So there's more of like a continuum with you guys like it's like more of a and lo- lcd sound just... system hadn't even started yet
0: saying but so i hear some of their stuff and i almost feel like they took off from where you they took off from where you were and kind of yeah maybe made it more accessible somehow more commercial, commercial. i mean james
1: yeah. james is really good at positioning himself yeah with the right people in the industry mm-hmm. and i think that that's was smart because i think he was able to then make a real com- like commercially viable career right. out of it yeah, and whereas Transam, we were constantly like making terrible business decisions. Really, but you toured your ass off. Well, we were I think we worked do, right? harder instead of working smarter, <laughs> and I think we basically burned ourselves out. Yeah, and and our audience is out. It's like you really just playing relentlessly doesn't yeah. build your audience necessarily. Huh. You know, and I think we learned that the hard way. Yeah, um, but we. We ve- I think that the upside is we honed our craft. So now I feel like we can get together. We just played a wedding three weeks ago oh, in, nice. in North Carolina. Transam did? Yeah. Oh, nice. Nate flew in from New Zealand. Seb flew in from New York. We flew in from De- from San Francisco. And we all met, and we rehearsed in soundcheck, like literally for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and we played, and it felt like like we barely... That's great Barely missed but a you beat. made
0: an album A couple years ago, right? Yeah,
1: we we recorded yeah. a record here Called California Hotel I love that
0: <laughs> yeah. That's a good commercial move Because people will
1: Google it Yeah, yeah Oops Oops <laughs> What's this? <laughs>
0: like on the on the recording side someone who likes likes to play loud is that is that a is yeah, that accurate yeah on oh, the recording and live side like turn it up really loud
1: yeah i mean i i I'll never forget going to see those fugazi shows right and the and um sonic youth too where it's like oh or the and also the fucking champs, yeah which was another band I played in
0: but you you toured with them and then you played with them
1: is yeah exactly. Tra- yeah exactly transam contacted the champs yeah. Because we heard their cassette, and we were like, who is this band? This is insane. Yeah. There's no one else that sounds like this. It's like some weird electronic proto, just like, you can't even describe it. Yeah. So we contacted them. We discovered we had a mutual affinity for one another's music, and
0: you were going to talk and, about loud.
1: Okay, yeah. And then so so Trans Am has always been loud, but not. I never. I didn't buy a Marshall stack until I, after touring with the Champs. Yeah. I was like, I was playing through a Fender basement. But were
0: com- you playing guitar and keyboards still? Yeah, I was already at that point. And that was
1: another thing is yeah. I I was playing a Fender Bassman combo, which is like a. 50 watt 410 combo open back and i kept blowing speakers because i would run my guitar into it
0: and your keyboard yeah
1: playing my guitar as loud as i could yeah and my keyboard which pushes out so much more the speakers just couldn't handle it and they kept they kept blowing and now do you separate the two (laughs) no actually i i still use i use a marshall head a 100 watt marshall head and a probably like a 250 watt Marshall cabinet, and and the because it's a closed back cabinet, it's it reacts differently and the speakers don't blow. Okay, and it's really loud and it does what I need it to do. That's cool. Yeah.
0: And so you were saying the loud. You were saying you saw Fugazi and Sonic. U- I didn't. I saw Fugazi a bunch of time times and I didn't. I guess they were really loud. The loudest band I feel like I've ever seen in my life is the Meat Puppets. I swear to God. Whoa. Like I almost. Like permanently destroyed my hearing. The loudest band I ever insane.
1: saw was was Dinosaur Junior at the oh, ol, yeah. at the old nine thirty club. Yeah, and it was so loud that it was complete, couldn't hear anything. Completely unpleasant. Yeah, and we had me and Nate went to see the show, and we actually wound up leaving the show space and going d- to the downstairs just to like clear your head, re- regain our sense of like our senses. Yeah, it, it was, I
0: saw one time the Me puppets i saw them they were so loud that i actually had to sit down and i fell asleep for a second because it was so much it like put me to sleep it's it was fatiguing bizarre. yeah it was so
1: fatiguing yeah <laughs> it is it's it's exhausting
0: um but it's but it's nice you know to see bands that are loud and it's, it's cool to play loud and, and yeah I, and that leads me to a recording question which is like do you record stuff really loud like when you're recording keyboards and
1: you know you don't have it, to you No, your tones, it depends right? it, yeah. it depends like when i record other bands like for instance i recorded this band called feral ohms mm-hmm. and they are blastingly loud yeah like as 100 watt marshall yeah and the bass player plays through two he, <laughs> well he played through two sun amps oh sun yeah. like uh, and like big sun cabinets yeah and and that gong, and gong, 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 it that was crunchy. really crazy. Yeah. And it's all fuzz, like yeah. Big Muff, like everything on 10. Speakers totally on the edge of blowing up. And when they came to record here, I was like, just set up like you do in your rehearsal space and we'll record it that way. Yeah. Everyone was playing in the same room, amps wide open, dimed, everything. And it sounds so good. Oh, nice. The record came out so So it's all bleed, everything's in everything yeah, else. No, well, yeah. Well, the, the, if you angle the amps in such yeah. a way and you you're careful about how you set up the mics you can actually minimize the bleed yeah so that it's not problematic but some of that bleed is good because the depth of you get a certain depth of sound with a little bit of bleed. So
0: I have to explain to people who might not know what bleed is because I, I keep getting comments from people who are not necessarily music people are like, "You talk about all this technical shit." So bleed is when a band's in a live room and all like the microphones pick up what the other instruments are doing. Right. And sometimes you want that because it it's gives also you a sometimes
1: vibe. called spill. Spill. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it, I I think that there's a tendency in the studio to isolate instruments and and there's yeah. I understand why, but I also sometimes performance is improved by everyone being in the same try to make it it doesn't work for every band but for this band I was like they've got to just be blasting and standing in front of their amps and everyone playing together Right. so I encourage that if people are into it
0: subject which is that um you, your music seems to be like kind of more than half instrumental you got you kind of skirt the vocal it, it seems like vocals are kind of an instrument and they're not always it doesn't really matter if people can sort of understand what you're saying is that fair to say yes or? definitely okay
1: we're not a lyric driven band right. it's more of a texture and, right. a, and another instrument yeah and the sound of the human voice is evocative enough yeah in our opinion it's not like the what the words we're saying are are driving the music right. at all. And then you also use like the vocoder sound. Right, processed awesome. voice. Yeah, processed voice. Or even, we got really into, especially on the more recent records, using like fake vo- voice patches. Oh, like yeah? I have a guitar synth, which is, you know, probably from the 90s. And it has these like voice pads. Oh, no way. Yeah, it's, and it's what like. Is,
0: what do you use that on? What songs? Um, I'll throw them on in the podcast
1: uh i would have to look but uh, i think it's on on thing okay what record is is that the name of the song or maybe it's on sex change okay i'll i'll have to look and get back to you i can't think of off off the top of my head (laughs)
0: So now's the part where I try to get you to talk about politics and we talk about uh your two thousand four album Liberation. Okay, yeah. Which has like edited speeches of, of George Bush in it and it's what tell me what was going on with, with the band at the time when you guys made that. Um
1: it? well that was a big um uh, we were still living in DC and um George Bush uh that was right on the cusp of the Iraq war, although maybe it had already happened um we were rec- oh four i think it already happened maybe or, oh, three okay no so so nine eleven had just happened yeah and we were in the middle of recording the record when nine eleven happened oh so that's in oh, 01 yeah or and we two, we were early. it was a 01 yeah and we were we had a studio in downtown dc called nrs which was sandwiched between the npr headquarters mm. and and the ins So we naturally, we named our studio NRS, National (laughs) Recording Studio. Anyway, so we were recording our record there. 9-11 happens, and I remember climbing up to the roof of my apartment, and I could see the Pentagon burning from the roof of my apartment, and I just remember having this horrible sinking feeling of now this administration is going to railroad every... Bullshit policy that they've had on the docket Mm -hmm. through, and they'll have this.
0: They'll have green carte blanche to just yeah, exactly. And it was what happened. That's exactly what happened. And it was this
1: awful, this moment and this awful realization. And so we took it as a call to arms for because we were all we just like we cannot sit by and let without like. Thing, showing something. our outrage yeah because this is and what as we were doing this and as we were making it what we began to realize is that no one else was speaking out there were so few people who who were who were actually protesting like who were it
0: feels like that but the i mean dixie, dixie chicks listen, the dixie chicks right i love when they did that that was like they
1: were the only ones right yeah the dixie chicks yeah it was like and then it felt like it was just us and them <laughs>
0: Was ever an excuse for nuclear war it's washington dc it's interesting when you say that because there was nobody mainstream who was putting their money where their mouth is which is partly what i what i'm trying to accomplish with this podcast is to get musicians to just take a stand it doesn't have to be one side or the other just say something about it because you feel something and you're you know music is, can be kind of powerful so, oh yeah you know
2: To weapons of mass destruction is America's tradition. In the Battle of Iraq, they destroyed hospitals and schools. In this battle, we for the cause of the war. When Iraqi civilians looked into the faces of our servicemen and women, they saw planes and missiles that could destroy entire cities. The Iraqi people love their oppressors. And we will stand with the new leaders of Iraq as they establish a government of, by, and for the American Armed Forces. Iraqi freedom was carried out with a combination of lies and intimidation the enemy did not expect and the world had not seen before.
1: grew up with um you know bands like fugazi right. who are super incredibly political Billy Bragg or, you know. uh yeah and and or minutemen oh yeah exactly and and that also the whole punk aesthetic is very politically driven you know yeah, so
0: it's like it starts with the big bad reagan and no nukes and all that stuff, or in Thatcher, 80s. or Thatcher, yeah. well, Thatcher, yeah. But yeah. in America, with Reagan, was like really kind of a catalyst. Then you have, then we're, you know, you guys are making an album about George Bush, and now here we are today. What are people doing now about this? You know? Right. There are musicians who are trying to. do Oh, stuff. I think that
1: there's a lot more yeah. outrage over Trump now than there was back then over Bush. But it's also, I think, there's a lot more to be outraged about now. Right. And That's true. And also, I think social media has really changed things. The world we live in now is so different than it was when liberation came out, just the way that people share information and and show their uh, disaffection with what's going on in politics, you know,
0: for better or worse. I mean, sometimes people just spew nonsense and they have as much of a platform as anyone I, else. No, yeah. I agree. I, yeah.
1: I agree. I don't think it's better. I think it's just different. Right and our platform back then was to release a record that showed our outrage at whatever the bush administration was trying to do in Iraq and they're just basically like pushing their agenda through and with no resistance
0: i remember watching the same thing on that same day in, in in new york watching the towers fall with my you know with my own eyes and then for the next two weeks like just watching american flags pop up everywhere right Everywhere, and they were a symbol of kind of fear, and in my opinion, right, like taxi drivers who were Sikhs, you know, who had turbans, they'd have a giant American flag on their right, and it was like that. That's the that's when the American flag became a symbol of fear, in my opinion. Yeah, and freedom. There was just
1: like all this, like the words and the catchphrases, like the terrorists hate our freedom. Yeah, (laughs) and and freedom. The word freedom just became just had no it had no meaning. I know it was just like you mean fear. Yeah, fear mongering. Yeah, (laughs) I know. Like, and And here we are. Yeah, and I and it's so crazy now to think about how how much we. I I would have to say I miss George Bush in a small way. Well, yeah, we thought it was so bad, and he's certainly not perfect. Yeah, but in in and in a lot of ways he was worse than Trump. But in a lot of ways, I don't know. Lesser of two evils, I suppose.
0: It, it it's funny to, to compare those two feelings because I remember I was so pissed during Bush, like the whole time, mm-hmm. just like this guy is horrible, he needs to go to jail. And then, but it's a different kind of outrage now. It's like it's like outrage with confusion about what reality is anymore. Right? <laughs> it's like reality has just been decimated, decimated. It doesn't, like doesn't like at least back then you were like Bush was trying to. Seem like he was telling the truth. It was all within, you know? it was
1: all within the confines of the system. The system, and now yeah. Trump is trying to break the whole system down. Yeah, and I don't. I I don't. I th- I mean, the older person in me who has a family and right. wants security, right? Wants like I miss the status quo, right? Which is good and bad. I mean, I think that it's things have swung so far in one direction that maybe the destruction of the system is ultimately what this country needs. Yeah. That's the way that it's happening, yeah. the way that it's happening isn't necessarily the way I want it to go, but it's 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 such a double-edged sword though. It's like if the democrats weren't so spineless, mm-hmm. I feel like it wouldn't have swung this far. Oh, for sure. But now Trump is such a bully. Right. And no one's taken him to, te- like, how is he still in office? I don't know.
0: It's insane. It's because of Mitch McConnell and, and the Congress, obviously. Right, right. And also, a really, like, getting back to social media, just a large part of the population that is willing to believe whatever they need to believe to uh, yeah, you can, go to sleep at night. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah, exactly. You <laughs> yeah. can
1: find whatever it is you want yeah. on online. Hello.
0: Yeah, whatever when, what, it is, wherever you are. want to believe. I got an email the other day from the Mike Pence, I don't know what, my, I get these like Republican emails and it was like, Mike Pence is doing this great stuff, check this out, go to this Facebook page. So I went and I started reading the comments and it was all, pray for Mike, pray for, the Lord is watching over Donald Trump. It was mostly just religious Yeah, because he's super religious. Yeah, he's super <laughs> holy, yeah, he's yeah. really moral, yeah.
1: Yeah, I know. And it's then, if really okay, weird. let's say if if Trump does get impeached, then we have Pence, right? And then we're sort of back to the the Republican. You know, he would tow the Republican Party line mm-hmm. in a way that Trump has not, right? And it's is like, that better? Or yeah, worse? and then and then he also has his own religious right agenda, sure. Which to me is more, more dangerous. It's actually, even scarier. Yeah, because that's the whole fucking Handmaid's Tale thing. Yeah, it's really playing bad. itself out. I know. <laughs> and uh, I mean, a lot of that is also happening as we speak. Yes, and, but it's it's overshadowed by all of the shit that Trump is spewing. Well, Trump, the is inflammatory, so rem- distracting
0: to everyone, including his own administration, that he doesn't get that much done. Well, other people do, I guess, in his name while he's tweeting. Oh, like I
1: think that. they're doing plenty to dismantle plenty. to dismantle all of like so much. everything. Yeah, uh, any climate. Legislation, yeah, everything environmental they're doing to like open immigration up is
0: like shut down at this point. Basically, they mm-hmm. have accomplished that. Mm-hmm. However, it, you know, there's no wall putting people. There's no wall, right? Right. But there doesn't need to be. They're just putting kids in cages. So that's right. Kind of, there's that. That's more of a. That's more of an incentive to not come to America. I guess so. So I mean. You know, I guess what what can you do? You can keep
1: writing songs, and you can vote. <laughs> what do you Definitely do? vote. Um, I I work at a public TV and radio station. Oh yeah, and which uh, one? It's KQED. Oh cool! I yeah. didn't know that. I yeah, know. I'm a TV and or broadcast engineer, oh, wow. so I work in both TV and radio. And I mean, it's a very left leaning. Sure. It's not as it's not as left leaning as Pacifica. Okay. And it's an NPR and PBS affiliate, yeah. but it's independent, but it's public and um I feel in a small way my con- contribution to that company helps bring real news to the community. Yeah. And uh, also KQED reaches out beyond the Bay Area it you know cuz now with streaming audio people listen to it all over the country.
0: Well, so then that that brings up a question which is like whenever I managed to get into a conversation with someone every once in a while who's like really right wing and they're always like their their big thesis is that there is no such thing as as uh free media everything everyone's lying to you so you work for this station i would imagine those reporters the people who put stuff on the air there's there's something there's an accountability to truth oh there's a lot exists, of exists there's a lot right? of fact checking yeah exactly and when
1: i walk through the newsroom half the time they're putting together the stories yeah they're talking about can you corroborate is that story right can, can we corroborate that story somehow and some and people think that
0: like those those people who are working there they're being paid to like you know put their liberal agenda out there or there's some editor there's definitely an editorial slant
1: oh sure but they're not there's no
0: there's yeah. no uh there's influencing no
1: there's yeah. you don't have there's it's not commercial right so you don't have that same level of like it's a conflict of Incentive, interest right, yeah. right, where okay, well, you know you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. Right. Most of the people I work with have their heart in the right place yeah. and and everyone appreciates that you know it's a publicly funded station, right. so w- we owe it to the the people to do our jobs well and
0: right and, so, and also
1: to and also it's especially critical now because all the newspapers that have been the cornerstones of news yeah like new york times and washington post all of the they're like fading away they're
0: under attack and they're fading away right? right they're getting smaller oh i don't know the new york times one good thing that happened is after trump started going after him people really rallied behind th- those newspapers i think and yeah subscriptions went up at least uh you know even online subscriptions and all that
1: yeah i i do think though over i mean think about what's happened in 20 years it's like
0: oh yeah but that's the internet yeah and i just wiped that out yeah so another question i have for you is you have a you have young kids you have a seven-year-old which i do as well so do you talk to your kids at all about any like you know like 9-11 the history the the anniversary or whatever comes no up every year. i haven't it's talk- too
1: early right i haven't talked to them about 9-11 yeah when donald trump was elected yeah um i definitely we had a we had a talk with our daughter about donald trump and she, I think, also picks it up from her friends at school, sure. and you know, she's she knows that he's a, as she puts it, a bad man. Yeah. And my kids know that as well. Yeah. So, I th- think it's fair
0: for them to know that. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah.
1: I don't want to burden her with right. the like the idea of the environmental crisis. Right. Too early. Yeah, because it's like I, she'll she's going to learn about it one way or another. I know but it's it's I, scary. Yeah, I don't I don't want her to have to lose sleep at night cuz right. there's enough that she's worrying about now. Yeah. Like more like her imagination just gets she gets carried away after reading harry potter and like even has a hard time sleeping after that
0: right know. exactly and when it's like
1: real it's pretty terrifying yeah there's
0: our
2: persistent area cloud it is it is beginning to move off and there's a general area of high pressure that tomorrow will be pushing in on us so that's going to be clearing things out and then as that does we'll be getting into uh, some westerly winds too so that'll help really dry things out and also bring in some more moisture as it is the gas
0: you were, um doing political music, or just in general, and you've toured, and you—I I assume you've toured out of the country a lot oh, yeah. as well. Do you feel like? What are people's um, perceptions of you as an American when you're, like, say, you know, wherever you're in England, you're in Germany, you're in um, Okay, Australia. well,
1: in in Europe, in England, English people get along well with Americans. Mm-hmm. In parts of Europe, I think in French, the French condescend on Americans. Mm-hmm in germany maybe a bit of the same
0: but i'm talking sort of sort of politically like are they looking at you have you ever had discussions with people where they're like what the hell's going on yeah oh definitely yeah
1: (laughs) and uh, and when we toured on liberation Mm -hmm. we we were it was highly political we even had projections and i at the end of the show we had this whole skit planned out where i would wear a george bush mask wow And I would I would leave the stage. I put on the mask, and the band Nathan said we're playing, and we had this whole like interaction. I don't even remember what happened, but they fucking in Europe they ate it up. I'm sure they did. And and it was like, okay, now I understand like why the dead Kennedys were so huge in Europe, and any band that's an American band that is like slightly political and has this sort of like protest angle sure the fugazi are massive heroes all over they it was like we had like suddenly struck upon something that we'd never it was like there was a real groundswell yeah and people were coming out to our shows just to see the american band making fun of american politics yeah it's like it gives them hope yeah it was it was really something that was palpable we we noticed that
0: yeah well i don't take up too much more of your time but uh so now your current project that you're Performing with is um, his Life Coach.
1: The Life Coach is one. I love um, that name. Thank you. I love you. the whole concept. It yeah. Just, it's I've, amazing. I haven't actually done much Life Coach within the last couple of years because had, we had a second kid. We have a two-year-old boy. And that's been kind of taking up a lot of time. And then also... The drummer and Life Coach is my friend John Theodore, and he's been busy, too. He also had a kid.
0: Does he play? Who else does he play with? He also plays with Queens of the Stone Age. That's what Age. I thought.
1: So I knew there was a connection. So yeah. he's that, that's okay, Yeah, John and Theodore. so between those two things, or all that of those things. That keeps him kind of busy. Yeah, we're, <laughs> I am playing as Life Coach in December in Oakland, but um, it's just going to be me solo, probably. Really? With drum machines and stuff? Mm, oh. I'm not, I i haven't even written the set. I knew never...
0: I was gonna ask in in life coach. it's a it's a two piece so and there's a lot going on. So do you have like sequencing going on or how do you? Is there um, a we do. Tape, it was a lot of loop looping, looping live, live looping. Yeah, live oh, looping. That's cool. Which is really hard. Yeah, especially um, with a drummer, but he's crazy good. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. it's
1: it's hard. It's still challenging, but we've we for a while we were we were able to pull it off and tour with that setup. But then so yeah, there's life coach and then I also play in two other bands. Which are more active? I play in a band called Terry Gross. <laughs> I saw that name. Yeah,
0: amazing. Again, hats off.
1: To Thank you. you. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's me and my uh, studio partner Donnie, and our friend Phil Becker. Um, we're three... right.
0: Who's is he here too? Phil Becker in your studio? Uh, yeah, he's he's one, he's of, the one of the engineers. Guys.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um. So and it's sort of like the L Studio house band. Cool. so that's been really great that's Terry Gross yeah and we we're um, has Terry Gross heard it she has well (laughs) okay she hasn't
0: you're kind of in that NPR world she
1: hasn't I don't know if she's heard the music but she has she knows of our existence because a friend of ours who lives in Philadelphia his wife is a producer on Fresh Air yeah and we played with our friend's band he plays in Hot Snakes
0: oh who's that
1: which friend uh, Jason Carcunas Oh, Rick is a good friend of mine. Oh, no way. Yeah. I know Rick, too. Yeah, it's great. And Jason's wife mentioned to Terry Gross that there was a band called Terry Gross, mm. and apparently she chuckled. <laughs> so great. hopefully her lawyers will have the same <laughs> sense, <laughs> right. sense of humor. Well, it's a name, right? You can't really... Yeah. and That's interesting. And... Uh, I think that we have we she, we heard that she wanted a T-shirt, so we'll have there to we'll have to get it. Yeah, so that's I'm one
2: going,
1: band, and yeah. then there's another band called Feral Ohms, which okay. that was the band I was describing earlier, who played incredibly loud, and I recorded them. Their bass player left the band. They asked they were looking for a bass player and I offered and they're that's a great are they in San Francisco they're in Oakland okay and they, we rehearse really close to my house and it's just really fun cool love love playing in both bands both both Terry Gross and Farrell are working on we have new albums in in progress so look for those next year fantastic
0: and you're going to continue to play live with those
1: yeah. projects yeah awesome yeah
0: and, and right now you're in the process of recording um uh, Carlton Melton
1: correct how's
0: that going
1: oh it's great it hardly feels like work yeah. with these guys they're very very laid back they've been making music for decades and they're it's just really fun do you have a lot of, do you have a full roster for recording when you're not touring and stuff I guess you're doing
0: three things right you're playing you're working at the station and you're
1: yeah this here. the studio I I've been working a lot less because I need time to spend with my family so mm-hmm. I do maybe one weekend a month mm-hmm and and I've even then I've been trying to back off of that, right. um, and I, I'll sometimes come here after work and do a half day, like an evening session, yeah, maybe once or twice a month. But I, um, we've been grooming a lot of engineers to work here, um, to fill in the schedule who aren't necessarily like, you know, not me or Donnie or Phil, just other. I know people. this great sound guy in New York named Paul. <laughs> I know. Mandated. I would love it if he would come and do do a session. You got.
0: I read that he worked on one of your. Did he work on one of your albums? Oh yeah. He's he's, he's worked on stuff.
1: Yeah. He's Paul's helped us before.
0: Paul is Phil's brother. Who's the reason I know.
1: Yeah. Paul. Paul Paul's been obviously w- like with Trans Am since the beginning, and he's toured with us as our sound guy before, and that's cool. Both in both the states and Europe. Did you guys fight when you were kids? Always. <laughs> All constantly fighting. Okay. We're only eighteen months apart. Oh wow. So we're really like we grew up doing everything together. doing brother stuff yeah yeah but now you're cool oh, yeah yeah
0: <laughs> that's good awesome well thanks man thanks yeah. for taking the time it's thanks been really for fun talking to you and i hope that uh the world go- doesn't uh burn up before our kids are dead <laughs> <laughs>
1: me too <laughs> all right <laughs>
0: drink to that <laughs> all right everyone thank you for listening to my conversation with Phil Manley I hope you enjoyed it I certainly enjoyed it that was fun please go to pierredeguillon.com to find out about upcoming events and please subscribe to my podcast and leave comments the more you do it the better you feel the better we all feel upcoming events I've got a show coming up October 26th at Barbez vinyl release show for Franglais my new album French covers of all your favorite Indie hits from the 80s and 90s Come to that show, Barbez October 26th in Park Slope I'm also playing At Quinn's in Beacon On November 16th with Open Kimono That's going to be a really fun one They have great ramen there so you got to come to that show If you're up in that area And I'm playing with my good friends The Shrimps I produced their album, produced and recorded it In my studio here at California Hill And they are having a record release show December 13th. So you got to come to that. The Shrimps, December 13th at an undisclosed location. I'll let you know in subsequent podcasts. Mark your calendars and look for the Shrimps' newest record. It's hot. It's hot shrimp. All right. Thank you for listening. Keep your head up. And if you feel the need to buy a weapon because you're afraid of life, and you're frustrated instead why don't you buy an electric guitar plug it into an amp and play it super loud I promise you'll get the same effect of powerfulness and awesomeness that you were hoping for and it's a lot safer alright everybody be well au revoir à la prochaine